I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Enjoy. Hello there. I hope you're all well and have had a good week. So this week, as you know, I launched more tickets for our event on the 2nd of September and it's really nice to see the reservations coming in so that people who I've interviewed before or people who I've spoken to over on Instagram and people who are, majority of which are coming on their own. So for those of you who are asking that question, is it suitable to come alone? It absolutely is. So I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you are still thinking of coming, you've loads of time to think. So to share a little bit about this week's episode, before I go into more detail, I want to highlight that Celine's story, she does speak about the birth of her little girl Izzy, who was born sleeping. Um, So we do talk about stillbirth and pregnancy after loss as she went on to have her second little boy. So this is a really touching story. I know A lot of people will need to hear this conversation because unfortunately they will have experienced something similar. So I know Celine, how she how she told her story, how articulate she was, how much she portrayed the emotion of the whole experience of having to give birth to her little girl who, as she said, wasn't going to cry, wasn't going to take their first breath. I think it was just palpable. It really, I I couldn't speak throughout the entire time that she was sharing that part of her story. I just, I felt like I was there with her. So I do want to share that. It's a, it's a very difficult part of Celine's story to listen to, but I know many of you will listen to her story for so many reasons. Celine also chats 
about the birth of her two boys. So she gave birth to Harry first. She shares all of the details surrounding his birth. She had an emergency C-section with him. She then speaks really openly about postnatal anxiety, which I think is so important and still not really spoken about to the level that it should be. Yes, we are seeing it being spoken about on Instagram and various posts and whatnot, but the reality and the those thoughts that we have still aren't spoken about as much as they need to be. So Celine really opens up to us, which I'm very grateful for. As I said, she then speaks about the birth of her daughter, Izzy, and she talks about everything surrounding that. And I think it's a, it's a very important listen for those of you who do need to listen to and can listen to something as upsetting as um, Izzy's birth. And then she goes on to talk about Ollie. So she talks about pregnancy after loss, how she managed um, the fact that she was anxious throughout her entire pregnancy and she was put on medication to try and help deal with that because it wasn't good for her or for baby. She talks about his birth as well and the care that she received from everyone. So this is a really important episode um, for so many reasons, not just for those of you who have suffered the loss of a child, but also for those of you who have suffered postnatal anxiety, continue to do so, who have been through an emergency C-section, who have gone through or are going through pregnancy after loss and so much more. So thank you, Celine, from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story. So I'll leave you now to listen to Celine's story and I'll chat to you next week with a brand new episode. So Celine, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this evening. Thank you for having me. Will we just, I suppose, get straight into your birth stories and if you want to tell me a little bit about you and your family first. Yeah, so myself and John now are together, Ten, it'll be 10 years this year now, but we were actually, we worked together for a long time before then. So we've actually known each other, I'd say about 16 years, maybe. Okay. So it was a good while before we actually got together and we're now married three years this year. So I moved in with John in, I think it was 2014, maybe. And not long after that, then uh, I'd say probably about six months to a year, maybe we decided then that we would have a baby. So that, that like he works in the bank now still. I worked in the bank and then I took voluntary duncy just before COVID. So that worked out well, really yeah. for me. But um uh yeah, that's that's pretty much it now. We have had three pregnancies with two live births and one stillbirth. Mm-hmm. So Harry was our first pregnancy, first baby. He was he's six this year, he'll be six in August. And then my second pregnancy was Izzy, who was stillborn then at 33 weeks. And now we have Ollie, was my third pregnancy. And he is six months, just gone six months, actually, last last week or the week before, week before, actually. So, yeah, it's busy, busy life. And are you at, are you at home now full time? At the minute, yeah, I am on my maternity leave. My maternity leave is actually up now this week. And okay. then I took the five weeks parental leave. But um, I want to go back to work. I, I haven't been working now really since since AIB, since I worked there, which was 2019, December 2019. So it was literally okay. just before the start of COVID. And then I did have like a part-time job. It was like a receptionist. So it was cover for my sister-in-law when she was on maternity leave. But um, I am... Um, 
that 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 type of work just doesn't suit me really. And then I did an SNA course actually just before, okay. uh, just after I left AIB, and it's just very hard to get a job in it. But um, it is yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah, yeah. It's really really hard. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm looking for something now. All right, I'd like to be working by September, say. Okay, let's grand. chat about your your first pregnancy. So my first my first pregnancy was actually it was it was grand. Um. I I got we got pregnant actually very straight straight away like the first time we had tried um with Harry and then I had no morning sickness uh, like I I felt a bit nauseous maybe at the start but um I didn't I didn't have any morning sickness and when I registered with the coom then they said no you can do the midwives uh, do the dominoes game with midwives so it was great I didn't have to go in there all the time Um it was grand I remember I remember feeling a bit nervous going to my 12 week scan but looking back now you're just so naive you're like yeah sure it's fine you know I'm pregnant it's grand Um went in for 12 weeks scan. everything was grand the only thing with my pregnancy with Harry was I had pregnancy migraine okay. so I was like I was working at the time and I ended up having to finish work early because my vision kept going and I was working in town and it was I was driving into town I was into Ballsbridge and John worked near me all right so we could kind of carpool and that but I was dependent on him then to be able to drive because my vision could go at any time then and then the headaches are bad but other than that I had I had a good pregnancy actually with Harry I was I don't remember feeling that uncomfortable or um, having problems sleeping or anything. But sure, I didn't have any other kids, so I could nap when I wanted to. You could kind of do whatever you wanted. And I was younger, fitter as well. So it was it was actually, it, it was it was grand other than the pregnancy migraine. And I thought it flew by. It wasn't wishing time away or anything. And then... I remember like everybody commenting on the size of your bump, but your bump is huge and we were just all bump all the time. And then I got to 39 weeks and I was so, I was uncomfortable then. I was like, right, I'm, I'm over this now. I, I would like this to be overdone. And I remember going in for, into the coom and my mom was with me at that appointment. And she I said to the consultant I actually had seen my own consultant this time I think it was the first time I'd met her and I was like can you give me a sweep I I I, I would like to get things going and she said no I don't really like doing uh, sweeps I prefer things to go their own way like naturally she said like like I, th- I think you could you can go yourself and everything so I kind of just said yeah okay that's fine and I remember coming out and absolutely bawling to my mom I was like I just want I want this to be over now. I'm uncomfortable now, and um, yeah, you get to that point. Like, you? you do, yeah, yeah. I think when, like, I think I was like 39 and five was whatever way my appointments landed. So I was like, I'm just so close to it. Like, and they, um, she said, wouldn't do it. So the next appointment actually that I had, I was 40 weeks. What was I actually? I was due on the 19th of August so actually I was 10 days I was 10 days over nine days over sorry and I went in for my appointment again and this time my husband came with me so I went in and um she said the consultant said well 
I'll give you a sweep now today because you're you're over and everything. I, I don't we don't want to induce you or anything. And she said, I'll book an induction for tomorrow morning if your sweep doesn't work. And I said, that's fine. That's grand. Every, like we'll we'll go with that. Um, and she said to me, OK, pop up on the bed there. I was like, right, fine. Got up onto the bed and she went to do the sweep and she said to me, oh, I don't think it's going to be very long. Um, when you go home. She said, don't leave it on t- don't don't go by the rules as such what you've been told. She said, as soon as you start to have contractions, you should come straight in here. She okay. said, it's just it's just what I'm feeling. And I was like, OK, um, sh- she knew better than me anyway. But as she actually this is going to sound disgusting, but she as she actually took her hand out from doing the sweep. She broke my waters by mistake, she said. <coughs> sorry excuse me um and she jumped back and she was like oh my god I'm yeah I've broken your waters um um I'm really sorry and she she jumped up and she jumped up and grabbed the phone and she I could hear her ringing up to uh the pre-labor ward and she was like I'm going to send Celine up now um her waters have broken and um she said to me are you comfortable with this are you okay with that and I was like yeah okay yeah fine like I didn't really know what to expect I I I was expecting to go home for a while and then come back mm. in with pains and everything. So she said to me, "No, um, your waters are, are like gushing there." Like, so she she ended up having to give me loads of loads of pads and everything. And I had like this like kind of long leggingsy kind of top on, and I remember just like sticking my head out the door to my husband, being like, "You need to come in for a second because this was obviously pre-COVID that he could come into any appointment." And I was like, "My waters have broken, so they're going to admit me." So he was like, oh, okay, fine, grand. We um they sent us up then to the pre the it's like the assessment unit. And they they didn't she actually didn't even assess me there. They just put me straight down onto the ward. There's about five other people in there. Um and she said to me, Okay, we'll be back to check on you in a few minutes and we'll we'll stick a trace on and everything, um, just to make sure that baby is okay and uh, then we'll have a look and see what's going on, like what happened and everything. So she, they put the trace on and uh, she said, everything looks fine. Um, your baby's head is down. It's like you, you, you're you ready for labor, all right. But um, are you feeling any pains? And I was like, no, just a little bit of cramping. I was like, but there's no, no pains at all. So she said, okay, uh, go for a walk. Why don't you go for a walk with your husband? Um, and we were like, yeah, fine. We we were down and get some coffee and get some something to eat because we had been in pretty early and we just we hadn't been expecting to go straight into the hospital. So we were starving. Well, he was starving. And then we walked out and we walked down the corridor and we just we went downstairs and went down to the Starbucks and we were in the queue to like we'd ordered two sandwiches or whatever and I just remember feeling the most intense pain and I kind of doubled down onto my nearly went onto my knees and he was like are you okay and I was like oh my god is is this labor like I was like is this a contraction like you have a clue like yeah when it happens the first time um so I had to stop and I was like I was like I need to catch my breath um I was like, I had read loads of stuff about breathing and everything, but I think that in my head, it was just went out the window. Like this was, I was like, I was in the middle of Starbucks and I was like, I wasn't expecting that to happen then. And I remember saying to him, I, I think I need to get back up there. 
So he was like, we grabbed like food or whatever. And I'd say it took us about 15 minutes to get back up because I had to keep stopping. And like I walked up the stairs. I was like, I don't want to go in the lift. I'd rather walk up the stairs and was like grabbing onto the the railings and everything like to be to, to stop for a pain. And I was like, God, this is this is awful. And I was like, oh, fast, my God. Like, quick and fast, don't they? They sound like they're... Oh, so fast. Yeah. Like, and then I was like, this this is happening very quickly. Like, I was expecting to get a pain and then be like, for having like a couple of minutes. But to me, at the time, I think it was happening like every... God, it was really quickly. It was like every two minutes, I think, or something, or maybe, maybe three, which actually doesn't sound like that much now. But at the time, I was like, God, this is awful. And I got to the corridor of the, the assessment where the wards are and I stopped again. And one of the nurse was like, oh, you feeling pains? And I was like, I'm, yeah, really, really feeling pains. So when they had checked me before I'd gone down to the coffee shop, they were like, you're there's no, I was no dilated. They were like, no, your waters have just broken. But then by the time I had gotten back and onto the bed, she was like, right, you're two now. And I said to her, look, this is like really awful. And she was like, well, we can give you some paracetamol because we can't give you pethidine or anything like that because you, the baby will be too drowsy and you're you're going pretty quickly. So they didn't even get to put a trace on me in there. Um, she just said, I actually think we'll bring you over to the, the delivery suite. So I was like, OK, grand. Like, so they left me kind of for about 10 or 15 minutes with with John and I can remember having contractions and I remember him sitting on the bed and going to like you know hold your hand and I can just remember like smacking his hand away being like just don't touch me like it was real like I you want to be in the zone and you like you know you they, they want to help you but I was like I don't need your help I just need you to stand there and be be there all right but I was like I need to concentrate on me I needed to concentrate on the pain um so they actually, they, I didn't even walk over. They wheeled me over in a wheelchair because they were like, your contractions are pretty quick. Um, I got over to the delivery suite and then she checked me and she was like, you're four now. So they were like, what do you want to do like in terms of pain? And I was like, I want the epidural. I was like, I can't do this. There's no way. Like, um, And actually, I got it pretty quickly. I remember thinking, like, I heard horror stories from people, like, oh, if you want the epidurals, you need to say it straight away. And the anesthetists sometimes aren't available. And um, I got got that pretty quickly. And then everything slowed down. So I went up to six, then I went to seven. And then they said to me, it looks like you've gone back to six. And it was just dragging on so much. And one side of me had taken the epidural more than the other. So one side just wouldn't work. I was like trying to lift my leg like and I was like, that's not working. The other side was fine. I could still I was mobile. but So I couldn't even like I couldn't even roll really in the bed properly. So I had been in the hospital then at so I say nine o'clock that morning. I was over the delivery suite, I think by 12 at the latest. And then this went on for nearly the whole day with like people coming in and we leave it an hour. We'll check you again. Um, and the monitors for the baby were behind me and John. So me and John were oblivious. Like we didn't have a clue what was going on. And you could see them coming in and checking and having a look and everything. Um, and then 
when I got to 10 centimetres, the midwife and the consultant who was on call came into the room and they were like, um, you could see them looking at the baby's monitors and then they said, we're actually going to do a trace. and I, I, Not a trace, a What's that test they do where they scratch the baby's head? Oh, the pH, where they check for the pH. And she said, we're just going to check something. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, so she, they, they were, I remember they lifted the bed and they had John holding my leg up and they were, they did the, the like, they scratched the baby's head. And um, we were like, what's going on? Like, can we, like, is, like, is it time to push or what's going on? So they said, that the baby's heart rate, basically the whole time I had been in labour, but no one had said, was very like up and down. Like it was like, it, it wasn't really stabilising. And um, they said they wanted to just check to see if uh, he could, I didn't know it was a he, if he could um, take the, the labour. So they had said he was still very high up. So like he was, like, I think they call it the stations. Like, um, so they said he, he was really high up. So they said that if I pushed, it would take about an hour for him to come down and then about another hour maybe of pushing. So the midwife was saying she thought that she thought it was fine. She was like, it's borderline on the, the pH. I think she should be able to push. And the consultant who was on call was like, absolutely not. No way. I don't think that that's a risk that we can take. So they were having this argument down the bottom of the bed and me and John were still like, you know, I don't really know what's going on here. Like, and of course your phone is hopping with people going like, where's their baby yet? You went into labor hours ago, like, and your family and all like worried to them because you haven't been texting. And as soon as the, the midwife just said, well, okay, like you're the consultant, you, you can, you make the decision. And the consultant said, I think we're going to have to do a section here, but like it'll have to be an emergency section. And it's literally as soon as the words were out of her mouth, it was like the room exploded. There was people everywhere. They were just rushing in and they literally ran in the door and they were like dragging my nightdress off me, like pulling that off me, trying to put a gown onto me. John got pushed over to the wall in the the, uh, over by the window and they were like throwing forms into your face saying like you need to sign this and everything and drink some drink that was in case I had had something to eat and I remember spilling half of it down with me because I was like panicking so much and I was like uh, like why is this happening so quickly like literally five minutes ago you were like oh we could push and now it was like right you need to get down to an operating theatre immediately um and did they so, see his heart rate drop again um dramatically in that space of time or was it just due to the decision being made well, they didn't actually tell us this, but okay. his heart rate did it did drop. It dropped and I only actually found that out when I went for birth reflections okay. in the comb. Um it, it dropped and they were like, No, we need him out, like need the baby out straight away then. So we both kind of panicked, myself and John, like and I really panicked and I couldn't lie on my back when I was pregnant because I felt like I couldn't breathe. So I kept saying to them, I can't lie back. You need so they had to prop me up on one side even though I was flat and literally flew down to the operating theater it literally felt like minutes that we were in the room and then I was in operating theater and then John was they, they told him nothing they needed they literally said to him okay you need to wait here this way here at the bags and then they come in and just say to him right you need to put this gown on and this hat and you wait in this room and he 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 says it was like a cupboard it was so small 
for them to come in and tell him that he could come in just before the baby was born. But I remember panicking the whole time in the operating theatre and the anaesthetist was so lovely. He He's the only person I really remember from the whole experience. I can just remember him. He was the same one who had given me the epidural. And I remember thinking he has the longest shift ever. I was like, he was here at like one o'clock. And at this stage now was now quarter to one in the morning. I was like, God, you, like, you're still here. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know sometimes our shifts are really long. And um, he was like, don't be worrying about anything. You won't feel anything. And it's just um, tugging that you'll feel, but you won't feel any pain or anything. But he he kept me camp because I was starting to panic because they were like your blood pressure is going up and um you just need to calm down a little bit Celine and everything so then I think they brought John in then and I felt a bit calmer then when when John came in yeah um and it it felt it didn't feel that long actually till he was actually born but when when he when he actually came out then he didn't cry so they lifted him up. And was like they were like, here's your baby. But then they didn't say like whether it was a boy or a girl because we didn't know. And they just swooped him off. So it was like he was like st- startled that he um he just he didn't cry at all. Like so we panicked for a second and they, they lay him down on the thing. They obviously were like giving him a shush and everything. So he he eventually let out this tiny little cry then. Um and they called John over and everything. But I just remember bawling, absolutely bawling, mm. crying. Because we had been so worried then for like what felt like hours. But it was like five or ten minutes in between being told you need to have a section. And it needs to happen right the second. Like like you were so close to something being wrong. But you're you're just naive like to think that anything will go wrong. You just think like, oh, it's everything's going to be fine. And then when something like that happens, it was really awful. But um, he eventually cried. Anyway, they called John over and they were like, it's a boy eventually. But um, I didn't get to do any skin to skin with him or anything. I don't know. Like, I don't know why that didn't. Maybe it was because of an emergency section and I hadn't specifically said I wanted to put him on my chest. But um, I remember them wrapping him up and just giving him to John. And John just put him on my shoulder then. And then they said to John, right, you you go off with the baby now and we'll just uh we'll finish with Celine here and it was about half an hour 40 minutes that it took and it was just the longest time ever I was like I just want to see my baby like mm-hmm. I was like I did I barely got to see him in the operating theater I was like I'm dying to see him so when they brought me back up then to the recovery area John had they had told John to take his top off and he was doing skin to skin with him which I was delighted about them because I was like at least it wasn't like he just came out went into a blanket and a baby grow like he Mm. had him he's like just his little nappy and he had him on him and um (laughs) as soon as I came in though I was only in the room I'd say about 30 seconds and the nurse was like to John okay dad just took the baby off John straight up the gown for me like and there was wires everywhere and all but she was like no just don't mind any of them just put the baby onto you there I just remember just feeling like just the most unbelievable relief mm. and he was oh he was so cute he was just adorable um and it was just 
to just it was just a relief like of having them on your chest then like and then the disbelief that you're like oh my god I have a baby like even though you've been praying for nine months but you're like oh my god we're responsible for this little person now and so he was born at 20 past one and I, I actually remember saying like oh because I had an emergency section then and, and I thought it was solely that they never gave me the tea and toast that everybody talks about. And I was like, this is not fair. Like, I was like, where, where's my tea and toast? And they were like, oh, you can't have anything to eat now for a good few hours because you need to wait for like your body to recover a little bit. You just need to lie down and have some rest or whatever. But you can't have any water or anything. And I remember thinking I was so thirsty. But um, they said to John, you can go up with Celine to the ward they left us actually in recovery for a bit just to have like a little bit of bonding time with them. But I think it was because it was during the night and everything that they were like, right, we need to get you up to a ward pretty soon. And they let John come up with me and they let us like kind of settle in and everything. But I remember when he was going then thinking, like, what am I supposed to do here now? Like, um, the, the, he was in the, the baby was in the cot beside me and I literally I couldn't move like I couldn't sit up properly without it being in so much pain like and I was so thirsty and I just lay there I think just looking at him for hours until a nurse came in then and I was like can I have some more and she was like oh you can have some now yeah like it's been a good few hours now and all and I was like oh my god do you think someone would come in and tell you like yeah. absolutely dying of thirst and then by like by the time I had been in the ward and everything, it was kind of close to like breakfast time in the in the hospital. And the girl across from me, she was so lovely actually. She had to she had to help me. So she was like, you she knew by me. She was like, you've had a section. I said, yeah. And um, she had had one too. So she was like, I'll help you. I'll like push the breakfast up to you and everything. She was like, oh. do you want me to lift the baby? Like it was just awful. Like I had thought they helped you. I thought someone came in to like when you've had a section to be like, oh, are you okay? Like, do you need help lifting the baby or anything? But um, it was probably for the best because I was up walking around and my recovery from my section was really good. Like okay. I did whatever they told me to do. Like if, if they said, right, don't drive, don't do this, take the painkillers. I did everything. I took all of the painkillers. When I was told to, I stayed sitting on the couch for as long as I could. Um, even though that's not who I am I'm generally like oh I need I need to do everything but I kind of let John take over a little bit but um I yeah my my recovery was pretty well actually from there so like I they they would have discharged me after I think a day and a half but I said no could I stay just one more because I was Mm -hmm. a a little bit nervous I was like I I just wanted to make sure that my wound was okay and had a Harry was okay then and everything because they did actually have the pediatrician come around to us so Harry was actually born with hypospadias so basically the hole where they wee out of was in yeah yeah, is in the wrong place so his was actually underneath so it they were like oh it's not a massive thing like we'll refer you to Crumlin um it just needs to be fixed like for him for like it's nearly for cosmetic reasons because he like they said like you can see he's weighing but it just came out of the bottom from the underneath so actually we never got the whole when people say oh you have a boy you have to like 
push the wittage out straight away because they'll wee all over you. Harry would never wee all over you because the wee would just come out like okay. straight. I think it's quite it common, was. isn't it? I think I've heard it. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, yeah, actually, like I found once I once Harry had it, and once you start looking into it, there's a lot of people who yeah. have had it. Um, and they like to do it earlier the operations, but um, we we just got referred to Crumlin anyway for Harry. Um, Harry's actually wasn't done for a long time though, but um. The earlier, the better. Like if I was just if someone was to tell me now, oh, their baby had had been diagnosed, I would torment the hospital to get it done earlier because okay. they don't remember then. Like when they're a bit older, it's a bit more traumatic for them, I think. But um, yeah. So we stayed in the hospital for a couple of days, and then um, we we came home. God, you remember it was miserable. Actually, we came home it was August, um, and. We kind of, we settled into, like, parenthood fairly well, actually. Harry was the most amazing baby, actually. Like, he he just, he, he drank and he slept. That was all he did. He was fantastic. Like, he, we never had any problems with him sleeping through the night, nothing like that. He slept through, from, through the night from really early and everybody kept saying, oh, you're, you're, you're he's spoiling you, so now you'll let you you'll never you'll never have that again like you, you won't have another baby that'll sleep through the night like he does and but he was fantastic but I was so anxious I was I I keep checking him all the time and I was if if I thought he should have four ounces of his bottle if he only had three and a half, I was panicking going, oh my yeah. God, that other half an ounce now. We're like, what's going to, like, that's going to affect his sleep and that's going to affect this and he won't sleep. And it literally just built up and up and up and up. And I ended up, I'd say, when he was about, he was a couple of months old anyway. I remember saying it to my GP that I was like, this doesn't feel right. Like there's, I'm, I'm anxious about this all the time. Like, that can't be right. Like I know I'm supposed to be a little like I have, like have a natural instinct of being like oh wanting to protect them. I was like, but like if something went wrong or if it might, not even wrong, but if it didn't go according to the plan of my day, I was like the day is ruined. Like it's ruined. The baby's routine is ruined. Like everything is ruined, and I didn't want to. I was like, no, I can't go to the shopping center because that's in the middle of such and such a nap time, and like it was t- it took over. So. Mm. I spoke to, I, it took me ages now and I went to the GP though and he said, they were like, it sounds like you've postnatal anxiety, um, not postnatal depression. And I was like, oh, okay, I've never heard of that. I was like, yeah, I had only heard of postnatal depression up till then. And I was like, I didn't think I had that. He was like, no, it's just, he was like, it's, it's fairly common. But um, he was like, and it's very manageable. Like you just, um so we we talked through a couple of options of what we thought, what he thought maybe would work for me for for, for a while even just to try out. Then, so I took medication to help me with the anxiety for a couple of months, and it was the best thing that mm. I I could have done for myself because I feel like I missed out on the early months of Harry and enjoying how good he was and how like just just actually enjoying it rather than 
worrying constantly of just look and say oh god is he sleeping okay they're like oh he's asleep 40 minutes now and has to be an hour put him back asleep there for 20 minutes where I I didn't have that then like obviously I still was like oh, I liked I like routine and so does my husband so after that then it wasn't so much like oh your day was ruined it was just like oh okay well we can try something else then later on it just it helped me massively but um it wasn't really spoken about like no one no no one really talked about it um like I wouldn't have openly told people oh I have positive anxiety that's why you think I'm a lunatic like of I had to do this and I had to do that all the time and I don't I don't think I really told many people at all actually I kept it to myself but it it was bad for a while but um kind of between that and then just really talking to the GP then about it then and trying to like talk yourself around it like your anxious moments and like trying to like just like talk yourself out of them then like when you feel it kind of creeping up on me then I'd be like right do you, do you need to think logically here like this was like nothing's going to happen the world's not going to end and you start going through a list of things then and then I'd be like right now I'm fine now everything was fine then but um it's very was, hard to to shake that off if you're already that type of person if you're already because mm. like, I I'd be that type of person I, I had it wasn't until I had it with Eva that I realized I actually had it with Oliver too. Like I slept with the light on constantly because I was so fearful something was going to happen. And then it wasn't until yeah. I said it to other people. They're like, oh yeah, no, I slept with the light on for six months. And I was like, so did I. Do you know, people just don't like, talk about they it. They don't talk about it now. Mm. And it's sometimes it can be a bit isolating then because yeah. you feel like everybody else is like this perfect child and perfect like couple of months after. Why are we struggling? Or why am I struggling so much to accept that? I don't like things from this way or whatever. Like it just wasn't really talked about, but um, it's better now, obviously. Mm. Like, and it's you get open conversations with people, but I, I don't even think when I had Harry, it wasn't very common to talk about. But um, he was it like he and it it's it's probably it's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't go through it, didn't go about it earlier because I would have enjoyed it so much more with him because he was an absolute dream. And everyone was like, he's such a dream. And I was like, yeah, he's great. And I was like, oh my God, but like he has to sleep for 45 minutes. Like, don't talk to him. Like, I told you this. Like, but um, he's actually an anxious kid now himself. So he obviously got that from me. But um, yeah, he it, like he he was such a he's such a great baby. He really was. Like, he was. I just wish I had enjoyed it a bit more with him. So, at what but, stage um, did you? So when things started to feel a little bit easier and the medication kind of made you feel a little bit better. When did you feel, how long were you on the medication for? I was on it for six months. Okay. And then, then I came off of then and I was like, I actually, at this stage then, like, I think Harry was nearly one then and he was in a great routine for everything. So I was like, I, I felt like, I was like, I don't really need this anymore now. Um, I knew I knew the science then as well that like if I could feel it creeping back up on me or if I was like right I don't like starting to like overthink this or overthink that situation and actually I think going back to work helped as well so I went back to work when Harry was eight months old okay. Um, I took two months unpaid leave after my six months and I went back when he was eight months old and I think going back to work really helped because it was at the time John was when he was in work he was on in AIB actually in town so you're a lot of time at home on your own as well then so 
that probably didn't help the situation then either then mm. like you're you've nobody to kind of bounce off like like maternity leave is very lonely like people don't like to really talk about that either like but you're supposed to be all oh, oh, brilliant going out for coffee and doing this and doing that but you don't get the time to do that mm. and especially if you're anxious you don't want to leave to do any of that either so I think going back to work actually really helped as well it helped um you could kind of talk to people in work then and then it was like uh, then you'd kind of realize people were like oh no things like that are normal like that they'd wake or they'd do this and you're like oh okay like the, oh so you, you got it made me feel a bit more like me as well like so you weren't just mommy then like I went to work and I was I was Celine you could have a cup of coffee that was hot you could have your lunch and it just felt it felt better going back to work mm. it really did and then like the balance of like I went down to reduce hours and work as well so then that I could still work but still have a good bit of time with Harry then as well then but uh yeah that I think that definitely helps then as well with medication I'd start definitely helps me and I probably when they suggested it first I was probably thinking oh god I don't want to do that like but I don't I don't know why I don't know why I would think that because if it's going to help it's going to help like I, I think like everybody should make the decision for themselves like if you feel mm-hmm. like medication will help you or if you feel like therapy or talking like go go with that I definitely think it's all there for a reason <clears throat> exactly so when did you feel ready to to add to your family again so when we got married we got married in June 2019 and we said that we would we'd go on honeymoon and then we said when we come back from honeymoon we said we 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 felt ready then that we were like we'd like Harry to have like sibling he's trying to get pregnant then and we were like oh sure it happened so easily the first time and so I say we started trying maybe in like this September August, September 2019 and it was nearly a year. No, it was actually, no, it was before then because it was nearly a year before I fell pregnant again and it was in the middle of COVID then as well Um, and I was starting to get a bit anxious then that it wasn't happening and I was like, I don't know why this isn't happening. Like it happened so easy the first time. Like is there, is there something wrong? Um. I was near like I was nearly going to doctors like I know you have to wait a certain amount of time and everything so um what if I you're did an anxious was person I thought, as well yeah so like yeah. I was like maybe I'm overthinking this maybe we're like we're both overthinking it and like I know people are like oh you should just relax and it'll happen and all and you're like that's the most ridiculous thing to say to yeah. people like I just think it's so stupid but um I um I ended up buying ovulation sticks then to try and help like and because I I was like I know my cycle my cycle was bang on 25 days every month all the time so I had every app and all that could track it and everything so I was like well I just don't understand why it's not working so my period was never a day early or a day late it was always smack bang on so I was like I know when I ovulate this is silly like but when we actually bought the ovulation sticks it turned out that I was actually ovulating much later Okay. Than what I thought I was, so it was like it, like two or three days later. So that was like eventually when I ended up pregnant. I ended up pregnant. Maybe I think it was the first month after using the ovulation sticks, and I was like, oh, 
it was just ovulating the wrong time and like I just didn't know like I thought like oh shit the app is telling me it's these days mm. like and this is what it is so so out of my two children Eva is naturally the most curious she wants she's in at everything she wants to see what's in every press she wants to see how every toy works is just into everything and although it's it's just a new way of parenting that I didn't have with Oliver. I just had to be prepared for this child who needs constantly, who's being stimulated constantly. So say hello to Brain Building with Panda Crate. It's exactly what I needed. It's a subscription service for Play Essentials designed just for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 24 months. It's created by play experts at KiwiCo in partnership with Seattle Children's Hospital. Panda Crate is thoughtfully designed with care to stimulate your baby's brain development through play. PandaCrate is a science-backed, research-based approach to play and recognises that there's more to babyhood than the milestones itself. So within the Panda Crate, there was lacing beads. So Eva can sit down and do something like a jigsaw, but she'll have it done really quickly. And she, with the lacing beads, it takes her just a couple of minutes and she has to use both hands so she can really explore each piece, thread the shapes onto a string and develop bilateral coordination. Really, really handy. And also there is a peg puzzle. So it's another way to solve shapes and it's nice. They're nice wooden, robust toys. They're easy to clean, nice solid shapes. And I find the other toys that you put for her anyway, to put, uh, say, a block into something is far too easy. So the peg puzzle was just really handy. It challenged her a little bit more than the others. Whether you're a first-time parent or not, Panda Crate provides a way to simplify the early years with just right products to support your baby's rapid development in the first two years of life. Countless errors go into creating the playthings in this box. KiwiCo designers ideate, iterate and prototype test, review and revise and then they do it all again. So every material, colour, angle and curve is a thoughtful choice designed to stimulate your baby's brain development through play and as I mentioned before you can really see that in especially with the pieces in the peg puzzle. Unlock brain building play and create a foundation for early learning with Panda Crate from KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping with code IRE birth at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com with promo code IRE birth. On to the rest of this week's episode. Um, yeah, so I got pregnant then in the June, June 2019, just after our first wedding anniversary it was. And I... I kind of knew what it was going to be like to be pregnant during COVID because my sister-in-law was pregnant at the time and my niece had just had a baby in the May, just literally, just as I got pregnant. So she, um, I was like, I was, I, I knew what to expect with, with appointments and stuff. But um, I went to my first appointment in our local health centre because I had done the domino scheme and when we were filling in the questionnaire and everything she had said to me how was Harry's birth and I was like oh it was an emergency c-section and she was like oh well you, you can't come here anymore now you, you'll have to go to the coom all the time uh, once you've had an emergency section you have to be seen by its consultant-led care or registrar and I was like oh okay I remember thinking oh god I'm going to traipse into the coom all the time 
now on my own for mm-hmm. these appointments that and these the those those appointments are like four or five if even four or five minutes long yeah. you literally go in they check your blood pressure and they if you're lucky might do a little mini scan on you or whatever but but sure everybody kept saying oh it's, it's much better like you'll at least you'll have like little scans when you go in now and you'll be able to see the baby every time and um I was like yeah okay yeah that's it's it's grand um so they I wasn't a risk for diabetes or anything so they they never bothered um doing a test or anything but I do remember when I was pregnant with Izzy I was much bigger like bigger in myself when I was pregnant with Harry I was just I had the bump but when I got pregnant with Izzy I kind of was bigger everywhere I felt and my pregnancy actually with Izzy was was okay oh comfortable because you're a bit older and I like you can't sleep and I had a carpal tunnel um in my hand and I just remember loving my pregnancy pillow my husband hated it he was like it's just taking over the bed um but I absolutely loved it and I slept at that all the time and I had heartburn fierce heartburn actually mm. with Izzy really bad heartburn um and oh, like other than that it was it was grand like the going for my scans without John wasn't wasn't very nice at all now I remember going for my 12 week one being like this is grand like everything's grand sure I've been pregnant before I know what to expect here they'll come in they'll give me a date it's grand so I went in for that one he waited out in the car park and I remember them saying like did the scan and everything they were like your due date is the 16th of February and then they changed it to the 13th but then said we'll leave it in between 13th and 16th so we were grand straight back out to George John delighted everything was fine and we got to the anomaly scan then went into that and I remember the night before that being a bit anxious I was like god what if actually something is wrong and I'm on my own and it's just awful and I know he's in the car park but having to ring him then and everything like it'll just be so awful um and like just being in like being in the coom pregnant with Izzy compared to when I was with Harry it was like it was mad mad like when I was with Harry it was like so many people everywhere when I was there with Izzy it was like a ghost town like you'd go in and there'd be like very little people in waiting rooms and which obviously we you need it but I remember waiting for the scan just thinking oh god I just I, I really wanted it to be over quickly where you mm. should be excited about those mm, things yeah. like um and I remember when I went in for the the scan and the girl who was doing the scan was this like his hands her well she she just wasn't very nice like she like obviously she has a job to do as well so like but she just wasn't very chatty or anything she was just like yeah jump up in the bed there now and just the anomaly scan and very like straight to the point and she was like okay we'll be like I won't really talk now because I so she was like yeah grant yeah fine and uh she kept saying to me you're, you're gonna have to lie on your side I can't see what I need to see like can you lie I was like yeah okay yeah and then, and then I was worried and I was like oh god what's this something wrong and she was like no no that's fine it's fine everything's grand and then it was just like do you want to know the sex baby I was like no grand and then straight out the door it was literally it was very quick very 
like business like and straight out the door and there's like two or three pictures for you it just felt really impersonal but I'm sure they were under an awful lot of stress as well in the hospitals and um they're not easy scans to go then it's nice when you no. get someone who who <coughs> yeah, kind of helps you through that you know every every time they move that wand you're you're nervous you are of course yeah, yeah. like and like you could see her like you know putting the notes on it you know when you go for the anomaly scan and they're like left foot like left mm. left part of the heart this part of the heart and um at that stage actually I had said to her I was like I don't feel a huge amount of movement all the time and like I think I was 22 weeks at that stage and she said to me uh the baby is breech and I was like oh okay and she said like so you might not feel an awful lot of movement but she was like just just keep be aware for the movement anyway I was like oh okay grand and then every night when I went to bed was when Izzy would start to move so mm-hmm. like I'd literally lie down on my side and Izzy would go mental it was like night time was her time um and other than that I went in for my normal appointments I think I was in in mid-December and I think my next appointment was in was due to be in the GP on the 29th of December no not the 29th the week after actually and we got to Christmas anyway and at the stage like Harry Harry's so excited like like mommy mommy had this huge bump and everything and that year then I was like to my mama make dinner this year like you've done it for forever we gave her a year off and we we were like oh, we'll do it in our house it'd be great and it'd be great for Harry for him to be not like pulled and dragged that day like to go to my mom's house and come back and um Christmas day was great it was really good and um I was starting to feel a lot of pressure though and at this stage I was I was just 33 weeks um and like when I was walking and so like I remember being in Dunes on the day before Christmas Eve thinking god this is really painful like to walk around for so long like and it was so good when you got home then to put your feet up then I was like oh gosh like I was like geez the pressure like the weight of this baby is massive like um but yeah so Chris Chris we got to Christmas day and it was great we had a great day and um Harry had a great time and and my mum and dad had come over. So I was like, uh, and my sister, and I was like, sure, you have a few drinks. I can drop you home. Mm. Like, it, it's literally about 15 minutes away. And I remember just before they went home, being at the kitchen table and feeling like it was like a roll in my stomach, but it was painful. I was like, oh, my God, the baby's moving so weird there. And I was like, maybe I've just have eaten too much. And I was like, oh, this is like, it just feels uncomfortable. So I dropped them home and I came home and I was sitting on the couch beside my husband and I said, I'm going to go to bed. I was like, I just, I feel I'm knackered and all. And I was like, I was like, the pressure is just massive as well. Like, and he's like, yeah, grand, yeah. Off up to bed, woke up about two or three in the morning with like a sharp pain in my stomach. But I was like, oh, I think I need to go to the toilet. Like it was like a stomach cramp, like went in I was like no I'm fine got back into the bed fell asleep because I was like if it's anything it'll keep me awake like if it's any sort of pain keep me awake got up Stevens's day everything was grand and my sister-in-law came up and we were chatting because she hadn't been there on Christmas day and then 
it was only when she was there I was like I actually don't think I felt the baby move this morning and they were like oh you must have and I was like I don't think I did so I sat down at the the kitchen table with them with my husband and her and they both they both were like they had their hand on my stomach and then it was like a Braxton Hicks like a tightening but we all thought that was a movement and we were like oh that was a movement I was like yeah I think so I think that was movement yeah yeah so she she went home anyway but it just it still wouldn't sit easy with me and I said Sean I'm just gonna bring the comb and see what they say so I remember going up to the bedroom and saying ringing them and they said sure come on down and we'll just we'll just check it out sure it's no harm anyway I was like grand grand so I said to John look I'll drop you and hurry over to your mams and I'll go to fly down to the comb and um I said like should I'll just do a quick scan like and just they'll say like everything's grand I was like I just need to I, I was like it's just for my own peace of mind he was like yeah you're grand so he went to his mams and I got down to the comb and I remember going into the um it's like the reception area before you go up to the mm. assessment area to get your chart. And the girl was like, should you head on up there? She said, I'll, I'll send your chart up. And she goes, sure, hopefully it's just, you know, you've eaten too much on Christmas or you've overindulged. And I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And got up into the room. There's nobody there. Absolutely nobody. Um, The girl came in. She was lovely. And she went to put the trace on me. And she put the trace on anyway. And you could see her kind of struggling and she was like oh, maybe baby's just in a weird position here and she was like don't be worrying now and I was like I'm not worrying and then I was like why why does she keep saying that to me like don't be worrying and she said I'm just going to go off and get a an ultrasound machine and she said like we can see better then and I was like okay grand grand I was lying in the bed and then I was like it's a bit odd like but you know still not worried or anything and she came back and she had two girls with her, two extra girls with her. And there was a woman kind of standing in the background. Um, and one of the girls was like, I'm just going to try, we're just going to try to put the machine on. And I was like, yeah, fine. Yeah, grand. And they turned it away from me and they turned the sound off. And I could see one looking to the other and then to the other. And I was like, what's going on here like talk to me yeah yeah so there was but there was there was just silence for a minute and then the woman who was standing behind who I found out later was a consultant just stepped in and said I'm just gonna have a quick look here Celine now and I was like okay grand and she was like I'm the consultant I was like grand and she she literally put it on for about I'd say about 10 seconds across my stomach and then I remember she had gloves on because COVID, they were all like mask, and I had mask on and everything. And I just remember her going to reach for my hand, and I remember thinking, "Why is she going to hold my hand? Like they're not supposed to touch me." And she went to hold my hand, and I snapped my hand back, and she just said to me, "I'm just so sorry, Celine. There's there's no heartbeat." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "What? No, like no." like what and I was like I can't be hearing these words like and I kept saying to myself sure I'm 33 weeks pregnant like you know this doesn't happen and I was like what no no and then I I started to cry but like there was no tears and then I was like I kind of just 
I kind of went to the side of the bed and then it was like I was having a panic attack because they, they were like, Selene, you need to sit up, you need to breathe, you need to breathe, um, take your mask down, take your mask down, you need to breathe. And I was like, I just kept saying to them, how did this happen? Like, how? How? Like, how? And like, over and over and over. And they were like, Selene, you just need to calm down, you need to breathe. Is your husband downstairs? And I was like, no, he's not downstairs. And I was like losing it then saying, like, you won't let him in here. So why would he come here? I said, he's at home with my, my son. And I was like, oh, my God. And then one of them was like, we have to go and ring him, Celine, and tell him to come in here. And I was like, what, the f- what are they going to say to him? Like, And at the same time, just thinking, this just can't be real. Like, And they're all, like, they're all very lovely. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I, everything and I was like this just can't be happening like you know the baby was fine last night like like I'm, I'm fine um and the consultant said to me then she said I'm really sorry to do this lean she said well can we just go down to another scanning room I just want to check something so I was like yeah okay fine like I'll before John gets here I was like grand um I just said to him can I take my mask off and they were like yep so we walked out of the assessment unit and got into the lift and went down to some other floor where we went to it it's um like a big kind of scanning machine like for the anomaly scan and she, I, I like i was i remember hearing like bits of you know oh we need a bit of color or something and i was like i don't know what she's talking about so she was checking like the chambers of the heart and everything and she just said to me she just wanted to, to measure the baby just to see if like how long and she just said to me I just think and she said I'm really sorry Celine she said I just think it was a matter of hours ago like it was just hours and I was like just remember just wailing and like the tears rolling down my face and but then silently like I it was like I couldn't hear anything so I don't really know if I made any noise I don't remember hearing me screaming or shouting or or crying it just felt like it was just silence with tears rolling down my face and they were like we'll go back to, go back up to the other room so just walking kind of numbly with them and I'm like I don't, I don't know what to say like like what, what am I supposed to do in this situation and they sat me back up in the assessment unit and they're like so you need some tea and toast you need some sugar you need something like you're going into shock there Um. so they got tea and toast and I remember just thinking, where is John? Like, and I did this, the most stupidest thing in my whole life. I texted him saying, oh, God, was all I said. And he said to me, he was actually in the car park then. And he was like, I knew something was massively wrong. Where the nurse had rang him, they had, the midwife had rang him and said that um, you need to come to the hospital, John. Um, you just need to get her as quickly as you can. Like, where they didn't say it like they couldn't tell him obviously over the phone if anything was like massively wrong but he was like he had kind of half thought maybe they were delivering the baby or something was happening but he was like I knew as soon as I got that text something was wrong so they had left the curtain because there was nobody in the assessment June they left the curtains open and when they had said to John on the phone actually when you get to the COVID desk at the coom they were like just say your name you don't have to answer any questions or anything. So he was like, he was a bit sus about that then as well. He was like, something is massively wrong here. If they're like, you can just come straight up. like. And he he burst through the assessment room doors and he just took one look at me and he fell apart. 
like he it was like he he knew I didn't even have to say anything and I just kept saying I'm so sorry and I was bawling he was like what are you sorry for and they left us there for about we just pulled the curtain around us for about five or ten minutes and he was in complete disbelief he was like how did this happen like how does this happen like we're like you're so far along like we we were on the home stretch we were like weeks away from mm. the baby being born like like this doesn't happen to people like how like and your grand um actually don't know how I'm not crying actually this is probably one of the first times I haven't really and they were they came in and they were like they were like I could not fault the coom for for everything that they did for us they from that moment onwards it was literally they came in and they were like right Celine like it kind of it got a bit clinical first where it was like Mm. you really need to take this tablet so this tablet is going to stop your pregnancy hormone immediately and in 48 you need to be back in the hospital from 48 hours of taking the tablet and when when you get here we, we'll start the process then like we'll and I was like what what happens like I don't I don't know what happens and they were like look we'll we'll talk about it more like um and they gave us this purple card with the end life symbol on it and they said you just show this at the reception in the coom anytime you can you come and go as you please like you don't have to you know there's no visiting areas no nothing and they said we'll have a private room for you um when you come back in and they said or you can stay here you can stay here now for two days and then then start the process and I was like no I don't want to stay here I want to go home I was like I have a little boy I was like he's at home he uh, was four at this stage and I was like I just want to go home to him I just want to go home and hug him as tightly as I can um so they said here's they gave me the number for the bereavement midwife and they were it was kind of more or less you know there's nothing you can really do now until you come back into the hospital so you can come back down at any time if you want now like if you feel like you don't want to hang around at home so we we were like okay we'll go home and at this stage we had two cars there so we just left ours and we went in John's dad's car because he had driven down and we got down to the reception area and I was like John I he was like I need to use the bathroom and I was like I have to ring my mum because I told her I was going down to the hospital just to get I was like I'm just going down to get checked I haven't felt a bit of movement and then I remember standing in the the reception area the coom and it's where they had their Christmas tree and I rang my mum and they were my sister and all was in the house my other sister and they were having a few drinks because it was Stevens' day and um, she answered the phone. She was like, "Hello!" Like real delighted and all. And I was like, "Ma'am," I was like, "I just burst into tears." And I was like, "The baby is gone," and she just went, "What?" Like she shouted, "What?" And you could hear someone in the background saying, "Like what's wrong?" Like, and if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Like, she just, she said, the, the baby is dead. And you could hear somebody kind of like wailing in the background, like roaring, crying, like roaring, like going, oh my God, no. Like, and I thought it was my sister. It was actually my dad. They told me later on then and it was just it was horrific, absolutely horrific. And I couldn't stop crying on the phone and I was like, Mom, I have to go. I was like, I just need to go home. I need to go home to Harry. I was like, I don't have any more information other than yet that I just need to go. So then we got out to the car and then John had to ring his mum and tell her. And it was like on a speakerphone in the car and we just sobbed the whole way home between me and John. And we didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know what to say to him he didn't know what to say to me and I said to him can you please just drop me home I don't, I don't want to go to your house to collect Harry I was like can you just go to collect Harry from your mams and come home I got home I remember texting my two best friends just in disbelief just sat on the couch just like what is going on like um, they rang me they, like in floods of tears like no one no one knew what to say but they said the right things it was just like like what like weird they were in as much shock as we were mm. so the next two days were a bit a bit blurry really it was more or less like you're walking around with a bump and you kind of like we'd so many visitors the next day from our friends and family like um nobody cared about COVID then they were like we don't care um come to the house just just to see us, just to ask us really how we were and um my husband he didn't cope very well with it. Like he he would hide away upstairs a little bit. Um when people came 
uh, I kind of went into businessy kind of mode. I was very much, you know, yeah, you have to entertain the people when they're in the house and come in and yeah, no, I know it's awful and like you have a little bit of a cry and all and um, where John fell apart and that kind of continued on into the hospital then as well. The bereavement midwife was not available. She, um, I ended up having to leave her a voicemail and it was only the morning that we were going into the hospital then that she rang me back and she was like, I'll try and get up to you. Uh, she said at some stage, but she wasn't in the hospital that day either because it was over Christmas as well. It was like an, an awful lot of people weren't there. Um, but we, there was a few tough conversations of like, what, what do you do? Do you have a funeral? We didn't know any of this. Mm. Like, do do we need clothes for the baby? Like, what do you bring in? Like, no one was, we didn't know any of this. And my sister and John's sister got together and they went and bought, like, premature baby clothes from, like, Next in pink and blue and, like, a little teddy and, like, a little hat things, like, and put them in, like, a memory box and gave it to us. And, like, it was it was just horrific, like opening that box, like thinking like you should be putting this on your baby, like and not thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to put this on my baby and they're going to be buried. Um, But the, the day we went into the hospital, we knew we knew we'd be there for about I think it was two or three. So my mom and dad were going to take Harry. So we dropped Harry up and we just kind of said, we're going to have a little sleepover or whatever. And then we, I got to the house and my mom's real strong and everything. And I remember going into the kitchen to her and I just fell apart. And I was like, mom, how am I supposed to do this? How do I give birth to my baby knowing that they're, they're not going to live like that, mm. that they're not going to take a breath. Like, and she just kept saying to me, you have to, you'll do it. She said, you're, you're like me. You're very strong. You'll get through it. Yeah. Just, just like just believe in yourself like that you can do it and everything and I just didn't we didn't know what to expect even still then and like people were so good like John's sister dropped us into the hospital and then the neighbour had made us a, a little shawl and everything for Izzy uh, to put around the baby, a little blanket um because she was saying she knew that like the people nip blankets for mm-hmm. babies in yeah. this situation so when we got to the hospital, they told us to go straight to Jared's ward, which was up on the fourth floor in the coom. And we got up there and we were like, we just didn't know what to expect. And they were like, oh, come on down here, Celine, now. So we got down to the end of the corridor and there was like three rooms. And all, t- like two of the rooms had like end of life symbols on the outside. And the room they were putting us in had the same. So it was to let everybody know. So the catering staff, the cleaners, everybody, it was to let them know that your baby was dying or had died. It was mm-hmm. literally so that they, they, just so they knew what was going on in the room as well. Um, so we got into the room and there, the, John could stay with me the whole time. They had like a pullout bed for him. Um, and they said, we're, we're going to start the induction process. And I said, how does this work now? And um, they were like, well, because you had a section, they couldn't induce me normally like with gel or with the propress um so they said in situations of where there is stillbirth as well they actually use a tablet form where that's inserted and they were like but we can't use a full tablet on you because we can't have it happen too quickly so they could only use half 
So I was like, right, okay, that's fine. And they said, no, everything is available to you. They were like, you can have gas and air, you can have epidural, you can have anything you want for pain relief. You literally say the word. And they said, but if you if you choose to have an epidural, you have to go down to the delivery suite. And I I said to John when they left, I was like, I can't go to the delivery suite. I was like, like you're just gonna hear babies crying all the time. Like that's like no, I can't. I was like, I can't do that. No, I can't. I was like, I can't. I cannot give birth and then hear other babies crying. I was like, it will destroy me. Like I was like, no, I can't do that. So they came in. Then the midwife came in. The most loveliest midwife, um, Anne Marie was her name. She came in and went through the the box from Felicon about everything that was in it and what we could do. And there was a memory card and we could take pictures and everything. At that stage, that's just all going over your head. You're like, right, it's lovely. It's a great box. And, you know, but like I I was like, I need to focus on actually having the baby first. I was like, I need it was almost like you needed to know that they weren't alive. Like I was like, I I don't want to hear any of that. I just want to go like have the baby. So they gave me half the tablet and then me and John said we'd go for a walk over to the shop. And by the time I came back from the shop, I was cramping again. So I knew I was in labor. I said to them, like, there's something starting. So they were like, we'll give you a paracetamol drip first. I was like, right, fine. And then it went very quickly. Like, I was actually only given the half tablet, I think, at four. And by, like, it, it I, I was in a lot of pain. So they were like, you, you can have the pethidine but you can also only have that by tablet form as well because of your emergency section which I was like I don't I don't know what that means but it doesn't matter and that really didn't do anything for the pain but it just kind of made me feel drunk I kind of Mm. forgot why I was there and then like my mom rang me at one stage and she said it just she said it was a strange phone call she said it was almost like you forgot that you were in there to give birth to Izzy like um and by 11 o'clock I was like I I was I was using gas and air and I was trying to move around the room and um I was I had the bed pulled up and I was like leaning on John and I had the ball and I was like this is the most horrific pain ever like I was like why am I doing this to myself so eventually I was like I I, I was like I think I need the epidural and they were like right we'll just get the consultant up so the midwife had changed over um, and there was this gorgeous, like Russian midwife. She was hilarious. She, because the baby isn't the priority, and you are at this stage, mm-hmm. there was never a trace on you. So there was nothing checking your contractions other than the midwife coming in and holding your stomach and timing them that way. Um, so like there was no no trace no no bands around you n- nothing really like it was literally like you could have the baby in that room um so they were like we'll have to come up and get the consultant just to check you just to see where we are maybe um just like just to double check so two of the consultants came in one was small girl and one was the the man who had actually given me the tablet the first time and the small girl said well, can we not just give a paracetamol drip? And the midwife from Jared's ward absolutely lost her head. She was like, are you ridiculous? She said, the girl is in agony. And she was like, this is not like your average birth. It's not, it, it, 
the pain was not going to be worth it. Like where everyone says, oh, the pain is definitely worth it. It really is. Um, you, you'll forget about it after and everything. I, They were like, she's not going to forget about it. They were like, can we just check her? So the guy checked me and he was like, you're actually seven centimeters. So, or was it eight? I was up. I was up very, very, fairly high. Anyway, <laughs> excuse me. And um, they were like, "Right, we need to rush you down to get an epidural in now. Like, if you if you really want it." And I was like, "I can't do this anymore." So they put me in a wheelchair, and the girl actually ran. And she was like, "John, she made John run ahead of her, holding the lift door open to go down to the delivery suite to give me the epidural." And when we got to the delivery suite, they put me down the very back, down like near like a COVID end or whatever. And I just remember saying to John, oh, my God, if I'd have known they'd done this from the start, I would have done this. Because for me, like, I was like, I didn't want, I didn't want to feel the pain. Like, everybody, they had kept saying, like, you shouldn't have to go through the pain when it's not the outcome that everyone else will have. So we got in and everybody was, like, kind of walking around to the bottom of the bed. And I was in absolute agony and I was rolling like I, I was on my knees at the side of the bed and leaning and like no one was looking at me and everybody was off doing something and my husband he was, doesn't say it often he was like Jesus like he just lost the head he was like oh my god look at her so they were like okay so you can get up onto the bed there and I was like really trying and the girl came in then the assistant to give me the form for the epidural and I was like I don't care I was like I, I'm signing everything I was like I just I was like please make this stop now and she was like, okay, just roll over there onto your back and um, we'll we'll check. But when I rolled, my waters broke and they were like, they, she was like, I'm just going to check. And she was like, oh my God, no, Celine, you need to push now. You need to push this second. Like, And um, I was like, what? And they were like, no, just, just push. Because I was like, I really feel like, I was like, I feel like I need to go to the toilet. And they were like, no, you need to push. Um, so it was like three pushes I think maybe and she was born and they just said to they said to me and John do, do you do you want to know and we were like do we want to know what is a boy or a girl and we were like of course we want to know and they were like it's a girl and like John just lost it he was like because because we had Harry I don't know, like, you just, not that you want the girl, but, like, we didn't want the girl. It would have been fine either way, but it was just because it was a little girl. And he lost it, absolutely lost it. And then I lost it. And then they were like, do you want to hold her? And I was like, yes, of course I want to hold her. And they were like, we'll just put a blanket around her and everything. And I just remember just sobbing the whole time. And they gave me the injection then for my placenta to be delivered. And they made reference to the fact that her cord was very short. They were like, her umbilical cord is really short, like compared to other babies. And I was like, I don't know what that means now. Like, you'll have to come back to me about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they wrapped her up and then gave her. And she was the most perfect little girl. She was beautiful. She was the absolute image of Harry when he was born. Like, her hair was a bit darker. Like we we only kind of seen like the back of her hair or whatever because they were like trying to keep the hat on her all the time like because obviously at thirty three weeks her head hadn't like fused together properly anyway so like but the, her hair was darker than Harry's was because he was really he was blonde 
when he was born and she was just perfect her hands and her fingers she had really big feet really massive feet like for a 33 week old baby like they were like she did she she was big and she was she was heavy she was like she was four pound oh my god I can't believe I can't remember this now she was four pounds six I think or four pounds seven and they were like she was a really good weight now for for a baby of 33 weeks and everything and we we just couldn't believe it like we were just kept looking at her going like how how has this happened like so they left us with her for a little bit and then they said we'll we'll bring you up back up to your room in Jared's so we had a cuddle cot which is the cold cots to kind of just keep her temperature regulated so that we could have her for a little bit longer like so she could sleep in the room with us but I had a a tear a small tear so they were like we just need to stitch it up Celine um which I remember this it was awful the room that I was in had like this massive window down the bottom of it so I could just see the reflection of me being stitched up and I was like oh god I don't need to see that right now either like um and I remember them bagging everything to be sent for with the postmortem everything everything that was literally touched in the room by any of us or from me or the baby or anything had to be sent for testing and then they were like I just said to them is there anything visible and they were like no they were like this we can't see anything um like I thought it might have been a knot in the cord or something they were like no there's nothing there so we went back up to the room and we didn't really take her out the the cuddle cough for a long time we were kind of afraid it was it was weird because it was almost like you were afraid of breaking her and then the strangest things like when she was in the cot beside me um and like the toilet door was near the car and John went to go to the toilet and he smacked the door off the car and both of us went oh as if like you were going to wake the baby and then you'd remember oh no she's not going to wake up like it was just the like mm-hmm. things like that were heartbreaking but um the came were fantastic and then the memory box from Felicon was amazing um they took so many photos first and they made us like this I remember this young midwife coming in so that she was born at 20 past one in the morning sorry not that was Harry it was 20 past one she was born at 29 minutes past 12 and then th- so the next morning same day she was born the girl came in she was like come on let's take some photos now like you'll you'll appreciate them and she was like we'll, we'll. she posed us and did different things and all and um made like I said would have John holding her and like have different ways of us being it was just lovely and like they are the most precious things to us now is those those pictures because she has the most perfect hands and um like she's the most perfect little face actually as well like so there's loads of pictures now of us like holding her loads of pictures over her little face and everything um where if they hadn't pushed us sorry I've seen my eye um hadn't pushed us I don't think we would have done that. We might have taken like one or two. But um, I was like, after that, like you're up and about and straight away, like, and they said to us, like, we we could stay as long as we wanted in the hospital. So we stayed 
the 29th, which she was born, and the 30th, and we decided that we'd have her funeral on the 31st, which was actually my nephew's 21st birthday, which is awful. I felt awful then thinking about it. But um, the chaplain was amazing in the coom. She was so lovely. She It was actually her who came in and was like, pick her up there. And people would come into the room, the midwives, and they'd be like, they would talk to her as if she was alive. They'd be like, hello, beautiful girl. And, oh, she's gorgeous, isn't she? And all, and look at you. And, like, it was almost, it was just like they were talking to a living baby, which was amazing. So, still in the hospital, my husband fell apart. And I was still very much all business and taking in everything they told me. You have to do this, do that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, we'll ring about this for the funeral. We'll do this. We'll do that. Maybe once or twice. I may have cried, like sobbed a little bit, but I kept kind of coming back to, you know, well, no, I've stuff to do here. Like I've, I have to, I have to, I have to get out of here. We have to bury her. And because of COVID, no one could come in and see us or visit her. So the chaplain organised that we could bring her over to the little, the chapel in the Coombe and that our families could come and visit her for half an hour each so they have like this little Moses basket for them and it's it's beautiful like really really nice so both their families have to come down and see her and hold her and have a bit of time with her then before the funeral the next day which was lovely and they they all really appreciate it as well but it was also nice that myself and John got to just have the time in her in the hospital that it wasn't a constant stream of visitors coming in because you just wanted to spend as much time with her on our own as possible like and we really miss Harry at home but we were like he's he's with my mum and dad he'd be fine he's not going to have an absolute clue what goes on when I come home now and with no bump or anything but they had said to us "Don't, don't lie to him be straight with him tell him like that she did die don't mention the word sick really you don't want to scare him or anything but just don't lie about it so we I remember going down on the morning my two friends came up to see her before we put her in the coffin and I think that's when I start. I started to fall apart then it was just it was like I, I knew I wasn't going to see her again so you couldn't I couldn't pick her up and I couldn't feel her anymore and I, I couldn't feel her skin her skin was so soft um and we went down to the chapel and they give you a couple of minutes with her then and all like and you have to close the coffin then so we put her in this gorgeous blanket my sister got made for her and everything she got her name put onto it and all we wrapped her in that and then we had a little hat then from my my sister-in-law like my niece had just been she was only a couple of months old so it was a hat then belonged to her um, and the blanket that she had been wrapped in the whole time, I kept. And then Fela can give you these two teddies. Um, so one teddy stays with Izzy the whole time, and one teddy myself and John would have the whole time. And so even when Izzy went for a post-mortem, um, the teddy went with her. Like, it goes everywhere with her. And then just before you close the coffin, you switch the teddies over. So you have the teddy that's been with her the whole time and then she'll have the teddy that was with you. And then they encourage just to like write little notes to her to put into into the coffin then as well. Um, 
it was just it was heartbreaking mm. heartbreaking closing that and then just getting into the back of a car holding like it just looks so tiny in John's arms like um we got up to the graveyard then and the the grave diggers got the time wrong the chaplain went absolutely mental so there was no grave dug for Izzy when we got there so and when we pulled into the graveyard we had thought it would just be our families because that we were like it's just we just told them and when we pulled in the, the car park is huge in Bone and Brina and it was just full of our friends and families like everybody was there and they all had, like everyone had masks on though and everything but everybody just wanted to be there they just need everyone was like we just needed to see you mm. we just needed to see you and and then everybody had to wait around an hour for the grave to be dug it was just it was but john said he 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 was nearly glad of it because i got out of the car all business again to see everybody you know hi how are you yeah hugs kisses everything and he just sat in the back of his dad's car with izzy on his lap in the coffin he was like i can't i can't get out there i don't want to i don't want to get out and see people i can't pretend like everything is fine um so up until the last minute then he got out of the car then when when they were ready first and um we didn't have anything kind of religious or anything like they tell you that you don't need to um john's dad just said a few words and then Rini, the chaplain she said a few like verses and stuff and then we just played a song we actually played our wedding song that i walked down the aisle to which you know, we were a bit like, oh, we can never really listen to that now anymore. And we love it. <laughs> like, but it's just too sad now when you hear it. Um, and I remember them saying to John, do you want to place her in? And he said, yeah, okay, yeah. And he got in, he he jumped, like they, they put him into the grave and he I had the coffin then in my hands then. And I remember thinking, I, I don't want to let go of this. Like, um, I have to hand her over. But I was like, you're handing her over to John, it's fine. Like, And I just remember kissing it and kissing it and handing it to him and thinking he was the most brave person in the whole world to stand in her grave and actually place her in it then. I just thought it was just the most amazing thing. And everybody was just like, there, there wasn't a dry eye around from, from anybody. Like they were just like, they couldn't believe it. And his dad helped him out. And we just sobbed there for a while. And then... I just automatically was like, oh, God, I just need to go home and see Harry. I was like, can I just go home and see Harry? So we just said goodbye to everybody. We came back here. Both their families came back with us. And like we just like a couple of sandwiches. Or it, was, it was kind of silly. Like we we didn't know what to do. Like and sorry, my brother-in-law, you're fine. Don't be silly. <laughs> my brother-in-law had Harry because my our nephew is the same age as him. So we knew he'd be fine with him. And, oh God, I remember, like, literally, someone was like, Harry's, Sinead's car is pulling up outside the door. And myself and John, we literally just ran to the door. I was like, I just couldn't wait to get my hands on him and just mm-hmm. squeeze the life out of him. Um, like, he was, without a doubt, oh my, like, I don't I don't know what we would have done without, without Harry. Like, we... The night, like even that day like we were like so delighted to see him everything was great and we'd bought he wanted some pirate chip we didn't care it was just after christmas and we bought him the pirate chip because he'd been so good and i remember a minute he went to bed 
we, I'd say his bedroom door shut and I fell apart. And that happened for a good few days where I was like to John, not only had we, we lost Izzy and you were trying so hard to be happy for Harry, he knew something had happened and we'd explained it to him, but he was four. He was like, I don't really get this, but you know, okay, fine. Like there's not going to be a baby. It wasn't a big deal to him. Like it was yeah. like, sure, grand. Um, but between that and then the emotional side of it, but also the physical side. Yeah. So I had stitches. I then had massive boobs that leaked, raging hormones. Like just it was it was the cruelest thing. It was like getting everything with no baby. And for the about a week or two after Izzy died, my arms felt real heavy all the time. But I was like, John, it's because they're empty. I felt like I should have had a baby in them. So like it felt like they were restless. Like I was like, there's something missing from my life here. Like I'd sit down on the couch in the evening time and all, and I was like, oh god, I just feel like I need to needed to hold something, anything like a cushion or anything, and just 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 to hold it. But I like without without a doubt, between Rainy, the chaplain, the bereavement midwife. Our friends and family were amazing. Like the drop-offs at the door, like the they brought shopping, they'd bring stuff for Harry. Like we'd so many flowers in the house and everything. Like people were just amazing, like so amazing. We now have we had two stars named after Izzy within days of her being born. She now has another one now is that she got off her godfather um just recently. Um we just got like there was people messaging us and ringing us and all like who we hadn't seen for years. And then there was an awful lot of like, oh, that happened to so and so too. Mm. And you were like, God, I never knew that. Like, and that happened a lot over the, the, the next couple of months. Then like the amount of people that we figured out that it happened to. And you just didn't know. You just like, I, don't, I really don't think stillbirth is talked about an awful lot at all. But for me, like, for me, out of, like, so, like, out of my, those two births, and, like, Izzy's was my most natural birth, but it was my most horrific. And I remember, like, actually, straight after she was born, when they brought in the tea and toast, and I remember thinking to John, this is not how I wanted this tea and toast. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, it was just, we wouldn't, we couldn't have got through it without 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 everybody like and then harry was literally our main reason for for going on you like you got you had to get out of the bed every day for him yeah. you had to get up and uh have fun with him and like it was still kind of in covid so like he'd be in the in room one week and then he wouldn't be then the next week it was just like it was all over the place so you just needed to carry on like but there were still situations that like you were avoiding you wouldn't go like I wouldn't go out and play with Harry on the road because I was like I don't want to talk to neighbours or John actually dropped Harry back to school for the first time first day then because I was like if I go to school people would be like oh yeah the baby because of no bump or no anything bump, yeah and then one of the mams actually the first day that John brought Harry back did say to John oh so uh, how's Celine oh did you have the baby over Christmas and John was like 
well yeah like and he was like it was the first time he kind of had to say out loud to somebody who we don't really know that she was stillborn and all and she, oh god the poor girl was devastated but I was like John you can't like in the beginning I used to I, I would feel sorry for people who would say it to me and I'd be like oh I feel sorry for them but now I'm like I don't not that I don't feel sorry for them but doesn't like there's an awful lot there but the books that I've read and all to do deal with grief and especially baby loss people are like you have to stop thinking about how you're making people feel because people have to imagine how it makes you feel, you feel. it's not so your like responsibility to yeah so if they're uncomfortable for 10 seconds you're in a world of pain for the rest yeah. of your life like so you have to balance it out like that mm. but um we just we we couldn't even imagine at the time then we were like couldn't even imagine having another baby and um I remember my public health nurse ringing me and she she basically had said to me you should just have another baby and I was like oh that that's not really what I want to hear and um she was like no 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 you, you'll be fine after you have another baby and like it's the most ridiculous thing to say to somebody but we the postmortem had gone off anyway and when the results of the postmortem came back we were to have a meeting with the hospital which took three months I think it was and we went into the hospital and they send us out a copy of the postmortem results as well which is the most daunting thing ever because it's just pages and pages of stuff and it sometimes it's very it was very clinical but there was like so, like the size of her and like you know inches and everything like she was actually really big for 33 weeks like um so I kind of had an idea from reading the post-mortem result myself what what had happened but we went in to meet our consultant then and the bereavement midwife and um they said the post-mortem had come back to say that it was a blood clot in the cord in her umbilical cord so she was like it would ha- would have happened very quickly like so the clot would have blocked the cord and the cord stopped our oxygen like so it just stopped her heart like um they were like there was no evidence of anything else like literally nothing like she was perfect and her size her gestation everything all like her organs and all were for the size that she should have been so it wasn't a long an ongoing thing it was it was an immediate thing it as my consultant said, it's just one of those things. She said, you couldn't have prevented it. No one could have prevented it. There was nothing that could have been done. Um, she said, it, it was like just bad luck, which was hard to hear. You yeah. almost want to hear like, oh, something could have been done rather than hear like there was really nothing you could have done. Like it was just one of them things. So at that meeting then, she as she brought it up she said look Celine like if you want to try for another baby she said from the day that you were pregnant she actually gave it to me there and then I posted it out sorry that day um a prescription for aspirin because she was like she said I'm not saying you that was to do with anything to do with you but she was like to err on the side of caution if you want to be pregnant again you need to take aspirin to make sure that your blood doesn't clot at all because I had been tested for thrombophilia just after I had had Izzy and that came back negative as well. Like they were like, no, you don't have a, a clotting disease. It 
literally was just bad luck like um but we were we were terrified mm. like I just kept saying like how oh, I don't know whether I could do this again then but then the more we looked at Harry the more like it was almost cruel to him as well because I didn't I never wanted him to be an only child and although I knew in my heart I'm like he's not an only child he has a sister but his sister is not here and that's not fair and it's not like we never wanted that for him either um so we knew we knew we wanted to have another baby I wanted Harry to have a living sibling was how you'd kind of explain it to people but I knew I needed to do it quickly then because I said if I leave this for months and months I won't do it Mm-hmm. I, I'll think of reasons not to do it, and I'll be like, my anxiety will go through the roof. Like it will, it will just. I I just knew I wouldn't cope. Like, so I was kind of after the post mortem results. So we decided then that we would try, and I said, well, this. Well, I said we can try this month, but that's the. Uh, if it doesn't happen this month, I said we we'll wait till next year. I said because. I was like, I don't want to be pregnant at Christmas because I didn't want me to to remind me of uh, Izzy or anything. So again, I got ovulation sticks and I got pregnant straight away um, with Ollie. And oh God, we were terrified. I remember ringing the bereavement midwife straight away. She got onto the consultant straight away. I was brought in to the hospital at like six weeks to... I was I don't even know where I was six weeks could have been before um to the early pregnancy unit um for a scan to make sure that everything was fine that everything looked okay but the biggest problem that I had with the hospital the first few times was you were seeing different people all the time and no one ever read your chart so you'd come in okay. and it was like why are you here so early like or what what's going on here and this is pregnancy number um this is baby number what so you'd have to tell the whole story over and over again. And it was exhausting. Mm. Um, so my bereavement midwife got onto the consultant and they decided that I would only see her for all of my appointments and that I would be seen more frequently than than other people as well. So, um, so because I was such I was high risk pregnancy then so you get tested for everything then with high risk and I was brought in really early um for my booking scan was 10 weeks and then I had to go back at 12 weeks again then still John couldn't come with me um because it was still COVID we were still in COVID times but it the, the restrictions hadn't been lifted when I was 12 weeks um but by the time I was 22 weeks he could come in with me then they let him in for the anomaly scan and they sent us to like where they like the private clinic to get it done then as well so we wouldn't have to wait around either um pregnancy after loss was just uh, yeah so how, it. It was just, how did you feel go so for each and every scan I'm sure you felt equally as anxious and you just probably didn't even want to go go for the scan no like excuse me they think that they're like you you think getting loads of scans is great like Mm. but oh my god you'd feel sick every time you'd go in for one um every single time like I'd be nearly breaking my neck to see the monitor because I'd want to see it I'd be like don't hide that for me like and 
Yeah. Although even when I started to feel movement and all, when I was going in, even for scans and everything, I still was like, no, I need, I need to see it. Like I, I need to know everything is fine. And it was literally like the weight lifted off your shoulders. So because I was so anxious as well, I got in touch with the perinatal mental health team mm-hmm. and I had a call consultation with a nurse and then I went in had a face to face with one of the doctors and I thought like I thought I was dealing with it pretty well when I was on the phone consultation but when I went in face to face I fell apart in there and I was like I'm really like just so, like just so worried like um she was they were so lovely they were like it's normal you don't have to apologize for it nothing um just like d- try this or try that or whatever but then they they recommended that I go on to medication for my anxiety for because okay. they were like it's not good for you and it's not good for the baby and so it I think it's uh, sertraline it so they were like we'll give you the lowest dosage of it because if you don't want to take it and or we can hire it up if you feel like it's not working and I wasn't enjoying my pregnancy and I wouldn't let anybody like I was about 16 weeks at this stage and I wouldn't let anybody talk about it either so it was like you know no one could say like you know so like what what kind of pram do you think you get you know what 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 about this and all and I just kept saying to people well I don't know do I because you know I don't know if I'm gonna have a baby like and I was snapping at people like and it it wasn't me that's not me at all like so I knew like I knew something was wrong so they advised me then they said the sertraline will take about three weeks to kick in but once it does you'll feel a difference and I really did it I I felt like me again like I felt like I wasn't on edge the whole time like I was snapping even at Harry and at John and my mom especially like it was just it was horrible but it was because I was just so anxious all the time and I was like why is everybody else not anxious like why are they not freaking out like me like and I just wanted to fast forward time so much like um so they they made sure that I got tested for everything so I got tested for gestational diabetes and I failed it so I ended up with gestational diabetes then when I was pregnant with Ollie um which was I think it was awful oh my god like that wasn't the the bloods that I hated or anything it was just the, the restriction of everything so like your restriction of your food and um I generally didn't think that I I was a bad eater anyway, but um, I just felt like I could have nothing. And I was like, this is the worst I felt because I was like, I wanted the pregnancy and I wanted the baby so bad, but it was, it was awful. It was emotionally draining, physically draining. Then I couldn't eat whatever I wanted to either. It was just, I felt like, I was like, oh God, what more could go wrong here? Like, um... And then I ended up in the assessment unit a few times, um, which they had they had said anytime I wanted. Yeah. They were like, if you like, if you feel like you've a headache or if you feel like anything, they were like, it's really no problem. You can come in anytime. The hospital were really good, really reassuring. Um, I went in a few times, but then when I was thirty-two weeks, um, so it was around the 20, 20th of November so I was due my due date was actually January it was the 6th of January but myself and my consultant had had conversations 
that we were going to have a planned section and it was going to be the week before Christmas. So I would be 37 weeks because I said I can't be in the hospital at Christmas because yeah. I just couldn't be there. It was just going to remind me of Izzy and I, I just didn't think I'd emotionally cope with it. And so she we we had both agreed on that and we were like, she said, we'll book the exact day and everything closer to the time. We we're like, fine. And then I was about... But yeah, third two or three weeks and Harry was in the bathroom or bathroom and I was like, John God, I really need to go to the toilet. Went in and it was gush of blood and I was like, Oh my god and I panicked and I I just shouted for him and I was like, John, we need to go to the hospital right now, like this second. We got uh John's sisters come around and sit with Harry, flew down to the hospital and they were like I was having Braxton Hicks and they were like, You're having like tightening seriously and I was like, Yeah and they were like, Are they painful? I was like, No can't feel a thing Um, they put me on a trace and the monitor and they were like they're like contractions Selena you sure you can't feel anything and I was like can't feel a thing Um, they couldn't figure out then like where the, the blood was coming from they were like I don't know was it old Um, it had stopped at this stage so they're like we're just going to keep you here and monitor you for a while Um, so they let John in to the assessment area because they were like just with your history and everything we we just can't have you on your own and then I had polyhydramnus as well with Ollie okay. so that was a, another reason for the plan section was they were like we don't know what way baby will be if you go into labor like um he was all over the place every time like you could literally go in for a scan he'd start one place and he'd end up in another by the end of the okay. scan it was just mental like um and so they decided in the assessment unit, they were like, we, we were not happy really with this, Celine. The tightenings are like, they're showing up as like contractions and we think like maybe you could go into labour. But then they did a swab and they said, no, we don't think you should go into labour. But then they said, they were like, look, your birth plan is to, is to have a section. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, we think we may we might need to deliver the baby if you keep having these tightenings because like it's it's you're going to go into labor eventually like and I was like oh okay so they were like 32 weeks yeah so we'll give you your steroid shot now and we'll give you one in 12 hours so they went off and then they came back and they were like there's there's a bit of a problem and I was like well, what's the problem and they said um there's lots of room for you in the hospital Celine but if we deliver the baby we have no NICU bed available for the baby and we were like well what does that mean and they said well we rang around every maternity hospital in Dublin and in Drogheda to see if there's a NICU bed available and there's none there they said the closest one that has a NICU bed available is Waterford and myself and John just looked at each other and we were like well, what does that mean and they were like you have to go to Waterford and I was like, I have to go to Waterford. So this was like half 10 or 11 at night. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? And they were like, no, like we'll, we'll have to get an ambulance to bring you down to Waterford because the consultant wasn't happy with the contractions. And they really thought that I might go into labor and they said it was too dangerous and that they would have to deliver the baby by section if I did. So. John was pleading with them. I was roaring, crying. I was like, oh, my God, I can't go to Waterford. What is going on here? Like, And 
they said no like there's there's literally no room available here and John was pleading again he was like we're, we're not even a year over is he still birth and he said we've a five-year-old at home he was like like get the, how like how are we supposed to go to Waterford and they were like no Celine is to go to Waterford John couldn't come with me <coughs> so they were like you you'll have to go on your own because you're not actually in active labor he can't go into a delivery room with you anyway so oh Celine it was God. just yeah it was a disaster so half so 12 John was up the wall he he didn't know what it and now I had my bags in the car and all but he just came up with the bag and he was like here you go and I was like John go home I was like there's nothing for you to do I was like just like they're obviously doing what they think is best for the baby which yeah. I was like it's fine it's grand you whatever so they were all ordered an ambulance ambulance came down the motorway at like half 12 one o'clock in the morning to Waterford it was the strangest thing ever and they have to send a midwife with you to go down got to Waterford into the delivery suite they put me to um monitor me and then obviously because I had gestational diabetes when they gave me the first steroid shot my sugars were going to go through the roof, so they had to, I had to have an insulin drip to measure. So I had to measure my blood sugars every hour, so I couldn't even sleep because I had to check that every hour. And then the the tightenings were stopping, and there was no more bleeding. And they were like, "No, we just need to make sure, Celine. Now we need to put another trace on. We need to do this." So I had to stay in Waterford for two days, just being monitored which was the strangest thing ever. Like I knew I was doing the best for my baby. Like I, and I knew I would have panicked probably, but like being so far away from John and Harry and just even my own consultant, it was just awful, but they were lovely down at Warford. They were very nice. But then when they discharged me, they said, we're discharging you, but you have to go to your consultant on Monday straight away like because this was the Friday and they were like we I wasn't due to see her till the next week but they were like no you need to go in and have a proper chat again and she'd get her to check you and everything again so John came down to Waterford to collect me we drove home and I had my consultant appointment on the Monday and she was like she was trying to push the section out by another week she was like can we push it out to closer to Christmas and I was like no 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 I was like I can't do it. I explained this to you already I was like can we please just go with that so she was like right fine she was like I'll I'll try and book it in for I think it was the Wednesday before and she was like I'll let you know next week then and I'll like timings and everything and we were like fine so then that week went grand I thought everything was fine like they they couldn't still find a reason why I was having so much tightness or whatever and then the Saturday night John was away for the night with his friends, down his friends. I had dropped him down. It was a nice. And oh yeah. <laughs> and um it was the first time they'd all seen each other through COVID and all. So he was staying down there for the night in one of the lads' house and everything. But it was grand. Me and Harry were here and the girls came. And about three o'clock in the morning I woke up to go to the toilet. And I was like, it's a bit of a sharp pain. And I had a show. And I was like, oh, oh. And I was like, right, I'll just get back into bed. And if I feel any more pains, I'll do something about it then. I was like, it'll be fine. So I got back into bed and I actually fell asleep and I didn't wake up until Harry woke. And I was like, oh, that was grand. Everything must be fine. A little bit crampy on the Sunday, but I was like, it's fine. Like, I was like, it just feels like pressure. 
And then I couldn't tell John because he was so hung over that <laughs> something had happened. So I waited until Sunday night before we were going to bed. And I said, John, I had a bit of a show now last night, but no, everything is fine. I don't really have any pains now. And like, I just wanted to let you know, but you were too hung over earlier. I thought I'd push you over the edge. And he was like, oh, can this wait till tomorrow? He was like, I'm just so tired. And I was like, yeah, everything is fine. It's grand. Went to bed. And then I woke up at two o'clock with contractions starting. Um, so I started to time them on my phone. I was very calm, actually, about it. Very like, right, I definitely know these are contractions. Started timing them. And, you know, it's one of those apps that tells you, like, when mm. you're starting to time them and then it tells you, right, no, you should really go to the hospital now. So I woke John up and I was like, right, I'm, I'm having contractions. I think I'm in labor. And he was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, he was like four hours sleep or something, absolutely still dying. And all I kept thinking was, oh, God, what are we going to do with Harry? Like, like it's so, so, like so early in the morning and everything. And I was like, I still didn't think I was in proper labor. I thought I'd get down there and they'd be like, they'd stop it. Because they kept saying when I was in Waterford, oh, they could stop your labor if they thought thought like you were in labor too early with some drip or some injection or whatever and I was like yeah okay yeah so I was like they'll just do that like it'll be fine um rang my mom she answered straight away which was weird four o'clock in the morning I was like I'll stop Harry over she, she was like yeah grand and we went to the coom got in and it was empty again and the whole time I had been in the assessment area when I was pregnant with Ollie I never went near the bed that I had been in with Izzy and when I went into that room, uh, she the the girl was like, "Okay, jump up onto the bed there." And I was like, I just looked at it and I was like, oh, do, do, "Like, do I tell her I don't want to go in there?" And then I was like, "Actually, no, I'll get in the bed because I know I'm in labor. The baby is moving, everything is fine. So maybe I was like, maybe this is like a little sign from her that everything is going to be all right. So jump up onto the bed there." Um. So she she checked me and she was like, no, you're definitely in labour, Selene. Um, uh, you're at three, I think three, two or three centimetres then. And she was like, I'm just going to get the consultant on call to come up and have a look and do a little scan and everything. Um, because they were like, obviously, you need you might need to have a section or whatever. I was like, grand. And then the consultant came up and when they did the, the scan, she was like, the baby's head is down and engaged. So it's up to you. What do you want to do here? And I was like, oh, I'll uh, keep going. I was like, I'll, I'll go into labor. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, like I didn't mind having the section, but like, I just didn't want that recovery again. So they were like, oh, great, Celine. So we'll just give you your antibiotic drip and we'll bring you over um, to the delivery suite. And uh, we'll see how you're getting on then. And I was like, great, grand. Um, so we walked over. We were kind of laughing and joking. And then when I got over there, I was getting a few more pains. And then eventually the, the girl, the consultant checked me and she was like, you're six centimetres. And I was like, oh. And she was like, do you want an epidural? And I was like, yes. I was like, I left it too late on Izzy. I was like, and now I don't want to be reminded mm. of that birth again. I was like, I know it sounds like a bit of a cop out. And they were like, no, 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 don't be silly. Um, I was like, I just need it. So I... They got it very, very quickly. The anesthetist was in. But I was, my contractions were coming so quickly that my body was shaking. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop the shaking. 
and they were like saying you really need to stay still and I was like trying to hold on to John and I was like I, I actually I'm not doing anything I was like this is shaking my body's shaking on its own like um so she got she got it in and then she got to put in like the the first bit of the epidural and then she got called off to like an emergency so I was like, I can still feel the pain here. And they were like, yeah, it's not properly in yet, Celine. Like you need, we need to wait for the anesthetist to come in and actually put it fully in or so, I, whatever it was. So in that time, then I was using the gas and air, which when I had Harry, I hate, I, I, I didn't like it, but I don't think I was using it properly because it worked a lot better when I was in labor with um, Ollie. I could feel like I could f- control my breathing. Like it was almost like I was your body kicks in to write, you know what you're doing here. You know how to breathe. You know, you know that like the pain won't last forever. Like it's just, you, you don't get that shock like you do the first time. First time, no. No. But um, they, so the the midwives on the ward were, were also lovely and they were all really excited first because of what happened with Izzy. And one of them, remembered me from being in the assessment area and I was telling her about the midwife who had been up in Jared's when we'd had Izzy and she was like oh my shift is ending now so like she was like will you send me pictures and everything like she made us take a picture of her ID card and all and then she went up to the Jared's ward to see if it was working and she brought her down to us to see us just yeah. as I was in labor but it was so lovely she and she kept saying I told you you'd be back again I told you it would, it would all work out and like she was like she just kept hugging John all the time um at this stage then I had the epidural um but um so ba- uh, what happened then was I think more or less kind of what happened with Harry like Ollie's head wouldn't, it just wouldn't come down properly. So when I got to 10 centimeters and I got pretty, pretty quickly, actually, um, even though I had the epidural and um, we had a student actually nurse with us as well. Um, it was her first day in the kiln. So she was absolutely delighted that she was getting to see this. And she, um, when is it, when it came to the time to push, they were like, I was pushing for so long, like, and I just thought, this is just never ending. And I just, I was kind of looking at John going, this isn't working. Like, what, what's, go, what's going on here? But the consultant, she kept saying to me, you know, you're doing great. She was like, you, it's, you're nearly there. You're nearly there. And they had warned me that just before Ollie would be born, that the room would be full of people because they said he was, I was 35 weeks pregnant. And they, um, said like just because we need to have a pediatrician like there's just going to be a lot of people in the room they were like don't be afraid don't be worried or anything so they brought in another another doctor and they were like slim we think we're gonna have to use the the vacuum so it'd have to be a vent use and we were like i said look i i, I don't mind like so they were like we'll have to give you an episiotomy and i was like it's it's fine i was like i just want him out now mm. um because we knew he was a boy we had found out but had told nobody um just just the two of us knew because I I said I don't think we'll deal very well with you know oh it's a boy or it's a girl when it happens I thought we'd fall apart so I was like we needed to be a little bit prepared just emotionally um and I was like we just we just want him out so 
the doctor she she did the episiotomy and then they were they were explaining to me then that you know when you you push and when they tell you to stop pushing that you have to pant like and like you don't you don't just stop doing it so you have to pant and pant and pant so I was like right okay so it was literally one push then and they were like just pant there slim for a second and she was like we did we barely used the the vacuum they were like he was literally just there then like mm-hmm. a, a couple of more pushes he probably would have come out but um when he came out he also didn't cry so when he came out I burst into tears straight away and they were like Celine lift up your head lift up your head look at your baby look at your baby and they were like holding him up but like he was still a bit bluey kind of purple and yeah he wasn't crying but I could see him moving but John was literally he he just stopped dead he was like oh my gosh like like he's not making any sound so they were like we're just gonna bring him over here for a minute you could kind of hear a little bit of a panic like that you know he's not making any sound like even though he was moving so they called John over then so then I knew everything was all right but he let out like like exactly like Harry the tiniest little cry and he just was he was like he was the quietest when he did cry he had this tiny it was almost like a meow for about the first three weeks of his life he just wasn't loud he just it was like he didn't find his voice but um scared the life out of us but I just remember then when they they weighed him then and all because they kept telling me he was going to be this really big baby because of diabetes and all and he was 5 13 when he was born um which wasn't massive but they were like for 35 weeks it's big enough like but um the pediatrician checked him over everything they were like nope he doesn't need the NICU or anything okay great yep he's fine he doesn't need any oxygen he needs he just needs you just needs his mommy so like they literally brought straight over to me then and I just like oh I just remember putting him onto my chest and just thinking like how did I do this number one again but he was just he was worth every anxious moment and every like sleepless night that I did I definitely did have wondering waking up to make sure that he'd move and he'd move during the night and I go okay that's grand I'll go back to sleep now like if I got up to go to the toilet and then I would make sure he'd move before I'd fall back asleep mm. but he was worth every single bit of it like just looking at his little face like uh and he was also the image of Harry the like they're they're so alike like um and we just we just had a moment me and John over what have you more than a few moments where we just stayed there and we were, John was like, we should probably tell people we had, you, you had the baby because my mom knew I was in labour and John's mom. And I was like, let's just sit here for a few minutes with him like, and do nothing. like." So, And then we were like, oh, well, we name him because we had a couple of names and everything. So, but was it like, that time was actually lovely. Like we didn't rush into being like, oh my God, he's born or anything yeah. to anybody. It was like, we just wanted a few minutes to just the three of us, like just sitting there, just in silence, really just looking at him because in disbelief that like he was here, mm. he was worth it. It was just, it was amazing. And then we video called my mom then and I would just literally showing him like and they none of that they didn't know it was a boy or a girl so they were like oh my god the excitement to all of them then was off the charts but she was crying then as well and all because 
I didn't realize that like even though I was so anxious and worried and all that like my our families were worried as well like like my mom was terrified the whole time I was pregnant that something was going to go wrong so it was just a relief for everybody that he was here he was safe I was fine everything was fine it was grand so we got moved to the ward then and um the bereavement midwife actually came up to visit us and she she brought us up a, a teddy for for Ollie because Harry had been given a teddy from Felicon saying for my big brother and then Ollie has one now saying for my little brother. So mm-hmm. they both have the same teddies with like the little t-shirts on them. They're they're really cute. Um but yeah, like it's just like the the time in the hospital flew by actually then like because I wasn't there that long because I only had like one stitch. I wasn't uh, one or two stitches. Um, I was up and about moving. Well, Ollie was doing great. His blood sugars were were perfect when he was born. I just think that that's so funny. After you have gestational diabetes, as soon as the baby's born, nobody mentions it again to you. Mm. It's like you can do whatever you want. Um, you just measure the baby's bloods and then, um, he was he was fine. Like they were like. They said his breathing was great, his his feeding was great. When the day we went to leave the hospital, he was the only baby on the whole ward that had actually put on weight since he was born. <laughs> he didn't. He never. He never lost any weight. Love hearing that. Um, yeah. He yeah. He t- and ever since then, he's literally just fed and fed and fed. He so I bottle fed. I bottle fed them all actually. Um, but I bottle fed Ollie, and he started solids there just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and. He's just, he's, he's the chubbiest little face and the chubbiest little legs. And I love when their legs are like that. Like, oh yeah. Like, None of mine, neither of mine had chubby legs. I love looking at other people. Oh no. <laughs> I love when they have chubby. Like Harry didn't have any, Harry did real chubby face. We didn't have the chubby legs, but Ollie has them real chubby legs <laughs> that are like, the rolls are on yeah, them. Like, yeah. on the, you yeah, have to clean the creases. <laughs> yeah. And on his wrists and all like where he has them. Like, and like, it's just like, it's, it's unbelievable sometimes because you're like he was five weeks early should he not yeah. be tiny like you have this idea in your head that like premature babies are always smaller and they stay smaller but he is like we went to a baby sensory class today and he was one of the biggest babies there but I had to lie about his age to get him into the class because okay. he's too young <laughs> and I was like oh god like he's only he pulls it off <laughs> he, oh he did he pulled it off yeah don't even bat an eyelid with him being there like Thank you, Celine. Oh, that was, yeah, that was, it was so long, Cora. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have linked some support in the show notes of the episode. Um, if you feel like you need it through a difficult time, through loss, pregnancy after loss. Um, yeah, so thanks again, Celine, for sharing your story. If you'd like to share yours, you are more than welcome to. You can pop over to the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, which I have linked in the show notes. Click on the Share Your Stories tab and I will get back to you as soon as possible with a recording date. We are up to May, I think May next year. Um, so just bear that in mind if you're expecting and you feel like you'll want to share your story or you've just had a new baby and you want to share your story, just reach out as soon as you can so I can um, pop you on the list. So yeah, that's it. Thanks a million for tuning in this week and I'll chat to you next week.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.